Life Audio. Today we have a very special episode. My buddy, friend, and I'll call him brother in Christ also, who is a pastor, a missionary, and golly, a whole bunch of other things, but I know he's an awesome uh, father and husband too. Leonard Lee, welcome to the show, and do me a favor, can you give a better intro than that as to who you are and what you do? I certainly will try. Uh, thanks for letting me be here, uh, Jason. Um, I am a pastor. Uh, that's true. I, I, uh, I did that for a long time, and I still pastor churches now and then uh, just to help them through. I am a missionary, meaning I travel literally all over the world. I just, uh, so far this year, I've been in Nigeria and in Cuba, and I'm headed to Niger and India next, and so big things like that. Uh, but I'd say probably uh, the biggest thing that I am is uh, I'm just a guy who loves Jesus because he's been loved by Jesus. Right. That's, that's my identity, man. There you go. Cool. And when you're out traveling and doing your missionary work, you have your your own organization. Give us a little bit on that, and then we'll give people more later on. Absolutely. Uh, we The organization that we founded 12 years ago this month uh, is called the 4Gen Network. It's four generations, so it's the 4Gen Network, and uh, we believe that uh, that we want to see everybody making disciples, and that's inviting somebody to follow Jesus, teaching them how to follow Jesus, but doing so in such a way that that person can also invite somebody to follow Jesus and teach them how. And we're looking for four generations of that in, from everybody. And so to get there, you, you have to train people. I mean, Jason, you know that uh, where there is no training, there's no mission. And firefighters don't just go through academy and they're ready to go. They go through academy and then they train and they work out and they train and they work out all of the time. Right. Uh, because they have a mission and they're clear. And so we're trying to put that that kind of mentality in pastors, leaders, and churches around the world, That's where there so is good. no training, there is no mission. I love that. You know, and, and even above and beyond that, which I know you're, you could go into in depth, is all the training, everything that we do in the fire department is great. But what if we don't have senior leaders above us showing us how it's done with their experience, with what they've learned, with what God's given them, you know, and that's why discipleship is so important because I think a lot of people feel when when they uh, turn to Christ that they're only following Christ. By all means, we're only following him, but there have been people who have been following him a lot longer than us, who he called way before us, who are becoming Christ-like and have been a lot longer. And he also wants us to learn from them, which is the discipleship, which you are a pro of. And you know how much he's placed that on my heart because we go to church so often and and the message is great. Everything's awesome. But you never hear that part about, okay, now go out and live it and teach it to someone else. And I love that you're doing that, man, that has been placed on your heart. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.
The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. So you just got back from Cuba, is that right? That is 100% true, yes. When, when did you get back? I got back a week ago and uh, had an amazing time. And I got to give you a hot tip for being in Cuba, okay? Okay. When you're in Cuba and you're practicing your Spanish, mm-hmm. and outside you see a group of pastors who are messing with one of their buddies' motorcycles, mm-hmm. and the alarm goes off, and you want to say, thief, thief, and you're shouting it very loud, and I have a, an extremely loud voice. Right. Uh, make sure that the word you're using is thief. Okay. Uh, because I called them all a-holes for about five minutes. Whoa, whoa, and whoa, they, whoa. <laughs> they started laughing so hard, and all week long they kept making fun of me. And uh, I was, and my my translator who gave me the word, uh, I don't think he set me up, but he could have. Uh, well, who gave me the word? He's laying on the ground laughing so hard he's crying, and he can't get me to stop because he can't tell me stop because he's laughing too hard. He's laughing so, oh my goodness, man. <laughs> what an opening, you know. And this is why I try to. I, I love cultures, I absorb cultures, but I have learned throughout my travels around the world that when I try to become that culture, I just mess it up and I become the quote big a hole, if you will. Excuse my language. Right now. <laughs> that is a funny story, man. You know, I mean, golly, so. So after you were done insulting them and embarrassing yes. yourself and uh, probably making the Lord just shake his head, his uh, his child Leonard, what happened next? Oh, gosh. I, I shouted for another five minutes. I'm so sorry. Lo siento, lo siento. I'm sorry. I'm wait, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Don't say anything on here that I don't know because you might have just said a bad word. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I do have a track record. Um, right. And uh, then we went to training and right. uh, we sat down with pastors um, in two different regions of Cuba. We had pastors from 11 of 17 states. They call them provinces. And, okay, so uh, 17 states in Cuba. And yes. you you have okay pastor eleven no no I want to I want to stop real quick before we go further let's talk about the culture the political culture in Cuba right now how um, accepting are they to the Lord's Church what, what's what's their take on it well the church in Cuba there are about twenty five thousand churches it's a communist country mm-hmm. and so um, uh, about 25,000 churches that are registered with the state. That means the state knows who the pastor is. Uh, they've mm. got spies in most of those churches to listen to their messages, to say, okay, you said something bad. Every pastor I know there has a story of somebody they know or themselves disappearing for three or four months, ending up in a uh, in a labor camp. Nobody knows where they went. About four months later, they return, and they tell the story, I, I, I was arrested for saying something in church, being in the wrong place, saying the wrong thing. And so there is a definite tight reign on the churches. Uh, There's probably another 10,000 churches 
that are called underground churches right. or churches that aren't registered. Uh, we work with both of those, uh, primarily um, churches that maybe the state knows who they are, but the state's not involved with them. Okay, so one more and one more question. Yeah. I love the backstory. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the state knows that you're there. How yes, receptive they are they to you and the message you're bringing? And how locked down are you, in all honesty, when you, you show up? I am not locked down at all because I get a missionary visa mm-hmm. when I go. Now, uh, or a religious visa, they call it. Um, if you get a tourist visa, I'm not allowed to um, speak in a church. I can uh, I can attend one if it's the bright visa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty free to say and do what I want as long as I'm not creating propaganda for, uh, you know, down with communists, communists are bad, the government hears this or that. Uh, every day, though, as an American, every day, uh, somebody comes on the radio and says, we're poor because of America. We're poor because these uh, terrible guys are doing terrible things to us. And, you know, and so um, in the church world, they look at us and say, we don't believe that. Because uh, so much money comes from the U.S. to Cuba to help people. Right. But, so, so the love of the Lord, I mean, through all of our tithes and giving and supporting yeah. uh, places like yours, it, it just shuts down the propaganda from the government side. It, just like in America, let's be honest, propaganda comes in all forms, shapes. I'm not going to get all politicalism. But at the end of the day, the simplicity of truth just shuts it down. So it sounds to me like the folks that you're dealing with, the pastors and churches you're dealing with, the simplicity of the truth shuts yes. it down because yeah. your actions, the donations, everything that are come in are backing up what you're doing. Would that be it? Well, then we, we cover every expense when we're there. Um, if they, like we're going back in August, uh, they're starting to collect food now to mm-hmm. feed the people in August because it takes that long. Everybody lives on rations. Everybody's struggling financially. Mm-hmm. And so we seeded that event already with some cash that we left behind. So now uh, they're preparing and they'll go out and buy 10 pigs and about 50 chickens uh, and bags and bags of rice and beans and such so that we can feed the people who come to our conference. Um, And we're having about 300 coming to this next conference. So um, it's an amazing thing. And the people are warm and and amazing. They love you. Uh, The, when somebody sees you and they recognize that you're an American, um, you know, I was tra- this is a bit funny. I'm walking through uh, the Havana and somebody sees that I'm an American. Um, mm-hmm. They just heard me talking, so they recognize it. And now a whole group of uh, of, of guys are following me and and they're shouting to uh, to. Well, they're using the word that begins with F, if you know the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And they're shouting that in our president's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and F this person, F that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I'm, and they're just following me. And my friends are like, uh, we're so sorry. Uh, we're so mm-hmm. embarrassed. I said, dude, don't, don't sweat it at all. Um, because I learned something today. And they said, well, what, what did you, what could you possibly have learned? I said, well, I, I now know the president's first name. And, uh, you know, they're like, okay, okay, you understand culture, you know, but I, I mean, I, I travel around the world. I've seen, uh, uh, some of the, the messiest things around the world as well as some of the most beautiful. So, 
Right. So when, when you're there and people are shouting, rough things are going on, but you still have a message to bring the, the pastors there, you get into church, you understand that obviously their, their communist government's got people in there listening to what you have to say and stuff. How, how receptive do you see the pastors to the message that you're bringing? Do you see them getting like, are they have like this little blockade of fear in front of them? Like, oh my gosh, we love what he's saying, but, or are this just open minds, open hearts? What, what do you see when you're speaking from your view out into the audience? I think they, they love what we say. It's difficult for them to receive it at times um, because the stuff we're training them to do is stuff they've never been trained to do. Right. You know, and this is across the world, Jason. You don't, if you go to Bible school, and I did, and if you go to seminary, and I did, if you go to graduate school and earn the advanced degrees, and I did all those things, I went to all I can those tell you that in, yeah, I was there. I was right beside you, remember? I know. Well, I, I copied off your papers. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, you're, when you're there, there's nobody who teaches you how to disciple somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, disciple making is not a part of the curriculum because what, mm-hmm. what they're teaching you in that, in those, uh, environments of education is to be the chief theologian, uh, mm-hmm. to ha- to put on a good a good event on Sundays, mm-hmm. uh, to do some administration. But really, we want they're they're training you to spend most of your time uh, preparing and building a meeting that takes place for ninety minutes on a Sunday, mm-hmm. hundred and sixty eight hours in a week, and about seventy five percent of the pastor's time across the world is spent on that ninety minute meeting. That's crazy to me, right. you know. And so when I was pastoring um, full time in a church, I thought this is stupid. I got 168 hours in a week. Why am I spending 75 percent of my time on that 90 minute meeting? Um, and so I began to shift, and I began to put uh, 60 to 70 percent of my time just sitting face to face with guys, having coffee, going to their work, going to their job, catching them at lunch, getting them early, catching them afterwards. Young people who stay up all night, I would go to their house from, you know, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. and make our Taco Bell runs and whatever, mm-hmm. just so that I could invest in them face to face and disciple right. them and teach them how to follow Jesus. And so that's so what they you, teach you take when, when you go into other countries, you yes. take that, but obviously with an understanding of their cultures and the way that they do stuff and their proper ways to do stuff. But you bring true discipleship message with you. And also yes. the tools, how to work that out, correct? And now what does that look like? And, let's, and I know you do it everywhere. I'm just kind of going with Cuba right. because you just got back from there. Is a, <laughs> right, what does right. that look like in Cuba? What, what would you say? Well, in Cuba, we, as a ministry, we have four basic trainings. And so we usually run them through a process. It's about a, a one training is about 35, 40 hours. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're doing four in a week. We're doing four. We're doing one in a week, and we got to come back four times. Um, but everything we do is geared to teach them to teach somebody else. So okay. it's not. It's not like you're sitting in a class going, "Okay, I got all this information." We're literally doing training. We're practicing it. We're memorizing it. We're learning it. We're interacting with it. And so th- when they're done with us. Uh, in a, in a one week, they're able now to go to their their other pastor friends and their denominations mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, let me tell you what I've learned. Let's walk through this process." And right. so that's how the training multiplies. Right. Um, and so when I'm in there, uh, like this last week, last time in Cuba, I was teaching a um, I was teaching a, a principle we call leading from the middle. 
Leading from the Middle is uh, it's actually a book that I wrote, and it's the idea that Jesus's ministry had three elements. In every movement, there's three three places of leadership: leadership from the front. That was Jesus's preaching. He was so good at it, people would say, "Sounds like God's talking." Right. Then there's the leading from the back, and that's the place of compassion and connection. That's where people would dig holes in roofs only to drop their friend down in front of Jesus. That's where blind people would sit on the side of the road and go, hey, is that you, Jesus? I can't tell, but I hear the rumbling. I need to be healed. Mm-hmm. That's leading from the back. It's that place of compassion and connection. Uh, and then there's leading from the middle, and that's the place where training, equipping, and disciples are made. And... uh we don't ever hear about that place when we hear about the life of Jesus. We hear about his miracles and his teaching. But if you were to study the life of Jesus, the vast majority of his leadership took place in the middle. So his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that was a middle conversation Jesus had with his 12 disciples in front of a crowd. Uh, if you look at the Great Commission, go make disciples everywhere you go, that was a conversation Jesus had in the middle with his friends. He, his washing of their feet, that was a middle moment where he was training them to go love like he loved. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's a middle conversation Jesus had. Maybe when he was walking to Gethsemane and he saw the vines on the, church, on the temple and said, right there, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he said, that's all that, middle. Now that's the Yosemite out here in California? That would be very similar. <laughs> and for those of you listening, sorry, Leonard knows we always have to poke the bear whenever I can. Okay, and absolutely. Not, no, no, I, I hear you. And, and so, when you're there speaking to them, what are you seeing back? So as as a speaker, when I'm in front of the audience or the congregation or whatever it is, I'm always looking out and I'm getting feedback. You know, what yeah. are you seeing just from the feedback of the faces? along with the comments of people that are coming up to you, because my guess is this is something many of these pastors have never heard. And let's keep it real, and I'm not judging. My guess are a few of them that come up to you may not even be real pastors. Maybe they have just, you know, inherited a church right. or something right. and stuff. You know, but, but And I'm not to go there judgmental, because I know the majority sure, of sure. them also understanding when I've seen missionary work that a lot of guys that say they're pastors, they're so far from a pastor. It's crazy. But what what are you seeing from them and hearing from them when you're given these messages straight from Jesus himself? You know, they ask lots of questions, first of all. What does that look like? How do I do that? What if my people don't follow? Um, they, they, they make these... Um, uh, I said the mo- the, I start every meeting with this. The five most common things I hear from pastors in this country. Uh, so, like in Cuba, the five most common things I hear are we're poor, uh, we don't have, and fill in the blank with what they don't have. We don't have computers, sound systems. We don't have. We don't have. We don't have. Um, we're persecuted, and they are. Uh, the 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 next one is. Um, we're too few. There's just too few of us to get the job done. And the final one is, well, that's just not our culture. We don't do those things. Hmm. And uh, we write those down on a wall and, or on a paper and pin it up to a wall. And I ask them, what do all these have in common? Uh, and they'll sit and they'll say things. Oh, well, you know, these are things Cubans say, da, 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 whatever. And I say, no, no, you're, you're correct. But here's what they all have in common. Jesus doesn't accept any of those as an excuse. 
Right. You know, and in all honesty, you're reading those out as if those are negative things. I'm yeah. sitting here in the American church where you can't even plan a church unless you have a few million bucks and the worship leaders and all this stuff. Bro, I need to throw it out there. Not too long ago, I go to Belize. And as we're going to Belize around the countryside, and I go into this home, and they invite us for dinner, and, and their kids went to the school that a buddy of mine sponsors down there. stuff. And I tell you what, it, my, my heart broke in such a good way because I saw the love of the Lord in this little hut that we were in. I don't know yeah. what they call it, but I mean, dude, it was dirt floors. We were eating some rice with, I could see the allotment of meat just wasn't there. And then, but they made sure also that us big chubby Americans got our bigger portions, you know, bro. I saw more of the Lord in that little freaking mud hut than I saw in these big grandioso churches because not everyone's on their cell phone. Not everyone's YouTube in it. No one, everyone's podcasting it, doing all this stuff. It was just like, here I am with the noise of the world shut down. Yeah, and I yeah. hear the Lord. So, so it's weird how one perspective is another, but I can also understand these guys where if the whole culture is, they don't have communication or money or anything right, there, right. how it could also be a, 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 a problem too. You know, so it's, it's just so weird how it parallels on wherever the Lord puts is that we sometimes here in America, we feel like the struggle is we have too much. Then you go to places like this and it's too little. But regardless of where we're at, Christ is in the mix of it all. And like you said, neither one is an excuse, you know? So I just, right. I love that story, man. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hard-working pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform. So you pin it on the wall, you're looking at it, they're seeing it as negatives, you're looking at ways to speak into it. How do you work your way through that list, or what do you do with that list? Well, we walk through the list, and then I, um, I say, uh, I give them the statistics on the church in that country. Uh, the average church size is about 17 to 25 people. Oh, there is, there's one church for every 310 people in Cuba, and that... That means that 285 people, every church is 285 people short of the potential. Um, I tell them, you know, in, in Cuba, the average church sees somebody meet Christ, uh, once every seven months. In the, in the U.S., it's once every 12 months. Uh, there, so we're just not seeing it happen. We're not seeing disciples make, uh, being made. We're not seeing people discipled. We're not, and yet we're seeing culture encroach in every turn. Right. Cuba is a very secular culture. And so uh, they're fighting over same-sex marriage. They're fighting over uh, gender identity. The same stuff we fight over. They're fighting over th- reformed theology. We're fighting over uh, non-reformed theology. Uh, we're having all these arguments all of the time. And I said, here's, what, here's what's missing is, is people are going to hell all around you. And you're trying to figure out uh, if exactly what the word predestination means. Right. And uh, possibly, um, 
God didn't intend for us to think that way. Maybe he intended us to think missionally. So I want to teach you how to interpret scripture through the lens of mission. And so that's the next thing we do. Um, If the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, which Revelation says, and Peter says uh, Jesus was the Lamb before the world was formed, meaning only one thing, that he was the sacrificial Lamb. If that's the case, then the whole entire Bible was written to tell us about the rescue story of God. Mm-hmm. Everything in it, everything points to that. Uh, and and that was the mission of Jesus from before the world was ever formed. And so I asked him this question. I said, if you were tasked to start a movement <clears throat> that the good news of God would go to every tribe, tongue, nation, people group, and that was your task, would, was there anything you would change in what you do right now? And every pastor in the room goes, I'd change everything. Right. I said, well, congratulations. You're in the right spot because that is your task. Right. And because and what it is, is the, 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 the greatest of commandments, right? You know, loving your right. neighbor. You know, uh, but something really hit me when I was reading the Bible. And I don't know if I heard it from a sermon or something. But someone once said to me, but Jason, you know, what's even greater than that is first, let God love you. And bro, that was so profound because when you let God love you and you let his love fill in you, it makes you want to go out there and disciple. It makes you want to live a life that non-believers are going to say, I want more of that. I want more of what he has. I want more of what she has. You know, my personal experiences, people preached to me until they were blue in the face, but until people started showing me the love, the actions of love and started discipling me even before I was a follower of Christ. Dude, mm-hmm. that, that's where where change happens. That's where I was like, I'm all in. Obviously, the the heaven and hell became real. The the I don't want to be separated for eternity became real. But none of that became real until I saw other people who believed it living it out. And the way that I explain it is this: when someone says, "What's the most important person on the fire ground?" I say. It's the guy holding the nozzle because he's the one that opens it up and puts the water out. And people say, why do you believe that? And I say, because I've witnessed thousands of times how he puts fires out. Therefore, I'm convicted to preach. We need a highly trained, courageous nozzle man on the fire and all the other people supporting them doing stuff. You know, well, same thing with the love of the Lord. I feel we have to tell them why we're so convicted to believe because we've seen in the world, yeah. but more importantly, we've seen within and we've seen the change. And when we take that to people, all of a sudden theology, which is good, having a discussion off tape here about theology and learning theology and everything that's great, but theology ain't gonna save no one's life, dude. It's not. Yeah. It's it's filling your heart with the Lord word. Let someone disciple you so you are properly trained on how to use the word, then lovingly because yes. your DNA is changing in the Lord go out and use the word, you know? And, and so I yes. love that that's what you're doing with these guys and that you're explaining that to them. You know, I mean, that that's huge, man. I super appreciate it. Well, that they much. come alive with freedom. They start going, wow, you mean I don't have to be an expert theologian? And I tell them, no, I prefer you not. I prefer you to be an expert on the fact that God loves you deeply. And uh, and I, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, which is Paul's prayer in Ephesians, right? He says, I'm praying that together with all the saints, you would have the power to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Well, 
Jason, we just don't pray for that kind of power. We pray for right. power to preach, power to lead. And Paul's saying, I want you, I'm praying that you have the power to know this love of God. Right. Um, today, I think far too many Christians wink at the love of God, going, oh, Jesus loves me, smile, God loves you, whatever that is. But when we're truly loved by God, I have now the power to forgive my enemies. Right. I have now the power to love people who are different from me. I, that's how potent the love right. of God is. Well, that's and, what I tell people is when you go yeah. out and love on people, guess what? I know for a fact many of the people I'm talking to are not saved. And I'm not putting myself higher than God, but I'm also based off what I see in the Bible and these people. There's a good chance they may not be saved. And where they're eternally going to end up crushes my soul. So I'm, I'm not out there saying everyone's going to heaven because love, 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 everyone's going to heaven. But lovingly, I just want to show up and be like, man, I'm here. And that's why I try to explain to people and why I love what you're doing. So I explain and hang out with people that show up because we have been called to show up. The outcome's not in our hands, bro. It's not. I was called to show up to a fire. Whether someone died in that fire or not, that was up to God. My job was to show up and do the work I was called to do, you know? And yep. and so when people sit there and say, so Jason, are you preaching to the unsaved crowd? Yeah. And they're like, what are the yeah. results? I'm like, the results are I'm getting joy in showing up and loving on the unsaved crowd. There's the, my results right there. There's <laughs> there the joy. I don't there know what the results are. So. The results are I'm going to be here for them to answer questions. I'm going to be here to answer the hard questions, the yes or the no's that I... I don't wish, but I'll be honest, as a Christian, I wish things could be different sometimes and I could give yeses to the noes. But I right. make sure that I show up and I give the right answer. I go, no, that's not what God wants for you. Yes, this is what he wants for you. And this is the end result. The choice is yours. And and I love that part of missionary work because I'm a true believer that joy needs to be in obedience, not the outcomes. Because if we only found joy in the outcomes, dude, missionary work or life in general wouldn't be very good during the time we're here, you know? Well, if you think pastors lie about their numbers now, <laughs> wait till, you know, we, we in, in, the, in the, what I love about what you're saying and where we're lining up here, Jason, is that it's the love of God that changes me. It, it empowers me. It transforms me. Uh, it, 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 it calls me to the carpet when I need to be called to the carpet mm-hmm. because, you know, we love our kids. We don't just say whatever you want. Uh, we say, no, that's not acceptable here. Right. And uh, and it's not tough love; it's just honest love. Right, and, and it's a love this, that you also, right. And real quick, where I'm going with that, and, I, and I'm going to give yeah. you the floor on this. But then we give them examples because Dad went through this before, and when I behave like this, this was the outcome. And I think that's the right. relatable message too, is by telling them why. Because if you say this is what God wants for you, His words almighty and all powerful, and He's going to do what He wants with His word. But when we give examples about how we've screwed up. And where we've ended up when we screwed up, boy, man, I really see little eyes open even in my children, you know. So I just wanted to yes. throw that out in my agreement with you. So so when you're speaking with these guys and you're pouring this into them, wh- what are you seeing, bro? I'm seeing them come alive. I'm seeing them experience that they are loved by God. Uh, I'm seeing them experience, wow, you are changing the way I think. Right. Uh, I have thought this way. I have, you know, I tell, I told the pastors in Cuba, I said, um, 
what do you measure in your church? And they said, well, we measure attendance, offerings, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I said, let me give you the numbers Jesus measured. Jesus measured three guys that were his buddies that were closest to him. He measured 12 guys that were his followers. He measured 70 guys that he sent out on mission. And he measured 120 that sat in a room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And I said, every one of those numbers represents people he had trained and activated for the mission. Uh, what if we started as pastors measuring the number of people that we have trained and are ready to go in the game? Right. You know, I've got 20 people who are trained disciple makers ready to go into the game because they are loved by God and they can't help but do anything else. They're right. equipped and skilled. You know, I was listening to a Navy SEAL talk and he said, in times of crisis, we do not rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. Right. And uh, you've, you've said similar things to me uh, in firefighting is that it's not like we're, we're, we're rising to some noble thing. You're just so well trained, you know what to do in those Bro, moments. Stre- uh, okay, strength is found in true weakness, bro. If I show up to fire, oh, and I'm Jason Sautel, yeah. and I'm going to go handle it. Bro, yeah, let's be honest. 99% of the fires I went to, bro, didn't take any courage. They didn't take a whole lot of strength. They weren't, they weren't going to kill me, right? They just weren't. But, bro, when you show up to that behemoth that is just breathing flames ready to take you down, man, that is when you need to fall back on your weakness and the strength of the Lord shows up. Now, what does that look like? The strength of the Lord looks like a lot of things, but the tangibles are there are a bunch of strong guys and gals around me ready to go into battle. Now, if I show up to that behemoth breathing fire ready to kill me, like, I'm Jason Sautel, I'm going to crush you. I'm dead, dude. I'm gone yeah. because I relied on my strength. Now, I tell people in day-to-day life, let's be honest, I'm praying and I'm letting the Lord go before me at all times. The Lord's like, I truly believe the Holy Spirit's like, Jason, you got this one, okay? This is kindergarten level stuff, okay? I've helped you on this. <laughs> then on other ones, he's like, dude, go home and pray, dude. This is too much for you to handle. Your strength that I I need to be working on is my strength needs to pour through you on these people. What I want yeah. you to do is show up and love on them and continue to love on them, but you need to pull back at this point. And that's where strength is found is in our weakness because I find I'm yes. too weak to handle certain groups of people and stuff. And and there's like a, a refreshment that comes out of that because you know me, dude. I'm that guy. The Holy Spirit says go and I'm gone. And I get to yep. the top of the mountain and I'm like, yo, Holy Spirit, where are you? And he's like, bro, I'm back down here at the thousand foot. You know, I'm I'm in gold yeah. country and you're at Tahoe. Come on back down here, kiddo. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just think that's a great thing. And I just, it's a, it's a powerful testimony that I'd love to throw out there and talk about and put out there because it's something you're taking internationally, right. dude. And my guess is you're probably running into a lot of guys that, Oh, I'm too weak. But there's probably that hard-headed guy that's like, well, I'm also very strong, too, you know? Yes. Well, you know, we what we find is that um, uh, I was in Nigeria in January, and that's a crazy place to go. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the village that I just spoke in, um, we had 600 people meet Christ. Uh, last Friday, uh, extremists came in and slaughtered that village. They burnt all their homes. They killed men, women, children, youth, and that village is scattered everywhere. Um, but there were people who last month or in January uh, prayed to trust Christ with their lives, mm-hmm. and in March they had to. Wow. 
you know, and so those are some of the places we go. And people are always going, man, Leonard, we're going to pray for your safety. Oh, we just want to pray for your safety. And I tell them, don't pray for my safety. Pray for victory. Uh, and victory to me is is when a disciple learns to make another disciple. Um, because what love does is love creates value. And and it makes me makes me want to live a life that says Jesus, you're worth everything. Uh, I don't, you know, we were in uh, Ethiopia and they 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 murdered eleven people literally on the front door of the hotel I was staying in, and uh, while I was there, and uh, and so all the all the white people in the hotel are screaming and they're all working for NGOs and nonprofits and get me out of here and they're on the phone screaming and yelling and they looked at me and they said why aren't you doing that. And I said, well, because I settled the matter of dying a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So for me to live is Christ. Right. To die, well, that's just a promotion. Right. I mean, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go have breakfast. So I went into the, into the, into the dining area. Mm-hmm. I had my breakfast. And a few minutes later, about 60 pastors came to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, because they said, we want to surround you as we walk the two miles or a mile and a half to the church. Mm-hmm. So now they're walking. We're walking to the church where we're doing the training, and they're literally. I look like this little tiny white spot in the middle of a, a sea of of these amazing black men of right. God, and right. and we're walking. We get into the church, and they and I'm just I'm I'm not happy about what's happening. These are your people. I'm praying right. for you, but they looked at me and they said, Pastor, we don't understand why you are not freaking out. Why are you right. not? And I said, well, because the matter of dying is settled. Right. You don't have to pray for my safety, but pray for victory. Pray that the reason I go is accomplished. And the reason I go, Jason, is because because I have been loved by God. I don't need you to love me back. I'm not going so you'll love me. I'm going so that I can say something that the God who loved me wants you to know. Sounds a little like grace right there, my friend. Well, it, it may be, and uh, you know, there's that dirty five-letter word, grace, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we, and so when we enter into a place, into a village, into a place, and and I look around, you know, I mean, we had uh, in Brazil, we had, uh, we got laid out on the ground, flat, and guns pointed at our backs, don't move, don't move, but I don't understand Portuguese, so I'm thinking. I think they don't want me to move. Um, well, let me stop right there. I think it's a good thing you didn't understand because chances are you might have started calling them a-holes, you know? So I'm just throwing well, it out you there. Know, just I only know that in Spanish. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it's in Spanish. And, Portuguese, listen. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm, you know, I'm not very and, well-traveled. So anyways, you're so, laying on the ground, dude. I mean, come on now. How did that and, go down? Well, they, they, they thought we were the – They we looked, We met the they, – they said – you look like the people who've been uh, killing taxi drivers. And, uh, and we're like, uh, no, that's not us. Right. And when they, they took all of our documents, everything, they took all of our, all of our luggage, they spread it out all over, the, all over the lawn. And I'm going, yeah, those are my underwear over there, pal. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they did all that. And then when, when they um, said, no, you're not the guys, they handed us our stuff got in their cars and drove away. So we're, we're packing up our stuff on the, on the side of the road and we get back in our car. Those types of things, that's just, that can happen anywhere. Right. You know, that, it doesn't have to happen in another country, but that can happen anywhere. But the reality of it is, is, and, I, and when I was training uh, youth workers, I, I would always ask this question, how many of you are here because you love kids 
every hand in the room would go up. Mm-hmm. We'd have 150 people in the room. Every hand would go up. And I'd say, I just want to praise you and thank you for loving kids because God loves kids. Mm-hmm. I love students. So thank you so much for that. But I got to tell you, what got you here won't keep you here. Mm-hmm. Loving kids is not enough. You have got to move to this center. I'm right. here because I have been loved by God and I love right. him in return. I got right. nothing else to offer you because otherwise I'm going to jip you. If right. I give you the best of me, I've jipped you. Right. But if the love of God can pour through me, then uh, you're going to be changed. Right. And I don't have to worry about the results because that's how potent the love of God is. Exactly. You know, and, what what just I love about your stories, your true testimony that you've been through is people ask me that all the time, like, Jason, will you pray for this? And will you pray for that? And I'm not going to say no, but I'm like, really? Oh my gosh. I just, I want to spend some time with you so I can pray about what's important. And to mm-hmm. me, what's more important than praying about this hedge of protection around you and all these people <laughs> that you're talking about. I, I don't even know what that looks like and stuff. Right. What I'm praying for is that the people you're going to encounter are going to see his love through you. You know, yes. people, I, I know, I know it's apples and oranges and this or that people will say, well, I want people to see Jesus through me. And I'm like, you're not, you're going to see this red face, Jason, that talks loud. Yes. What I'm praying that you feel and that I leave you with is the love he gave me. With me, I can't stand pastoring to children. I, to use, I'm a good dad, don't get me wrong, because there's only two of them, and I raise them up and they listen to me. I was once asked, Jason, why don't you you work in the, the kids area of the church? I said, I don't want to lie to their parents and say they have good kids, man. I can't stand working with kids. Do I love kids? Yes. Do I love the Lord even more? Do I love my kids? Yeah. Do I love the Lord? Way more. Yep. And yep. that's why I do what I've been called. So will I, I, you know, preach to the kids? Will I love? Yes, 100% because the Lord has called me to do it. Mm-hmm. Is it something I want to do? Like so many times people will say, oh, this is what I love to do and I've been called to do. And I'm like, what? What have you been called to do? Oh, I've been called to craft with, with the women. And I'm like, that's what you've been called to do? I know. You just... For crying out loud, you love to craft, and you can use yes. it, and I yes. want you to use it. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, let's let's relook at this interpretation that you're having. Let's let's try to find this. The Lord has put it on your heart to love on people. The Lord is totally okay with you crafting with people, but He wants you to understand that you love Him. He loved you first, and therefore you're wanting to pour that love out into people yep. now. I'm going to ordain you to go out and craft, even though I can't ordain anyone, you know what I mean? And stuff. So, so I, I right. hear that. Hey, bro, before we wrap up here, I got to give a uh, little shout out here because I know the work that you're doing around the world, not just in Cuba or Nigeria or Ethiopia or the other places you've thrown out. You're doing it worldwide, including India. Man, it, it takes people coming alongside you and supporting you. And at the yeah. end of the day, that support comes from finances and it blesses people. What I want to tell people is there's very few things that Christy and I support because we have a ministry of our own that takes a lot to to get off the ground and we're blessed to to be in an area where we don't have to have many people support us and stuff. So therefore, when we support folks, it's got to be legit. I got to make sure that the the money is going where it's say it's going. I know that's yeah. something everyone has. Um, your, I'm telling you, man, your nonprofit is what it's about. Along with your books, 
this yep. devotional here. Real quick, Kel, tell me about this devotional, why you wrote it, and what you're hoping people will get from it. You know, I, I make my living with words. Uh, I speak, I write, I talk all the time. And, uh, and uh, I wrote a devotional called 28 Words. And what I did was I picked 28 random words. There it is. Uh, 28 random words. Um, and then I wrote something about them. And I said, so like the word, uh, uh, um, the word uh, uh, um, uh, priority in there, it'll say, uh, and I take a scripture, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, and we grew up hearing first things first, first things first. Matthew 6.33 tells us it's actually right things first. Put the right thing first, not the first thing, because I can change what the first thing is based upon my brokenness. Uh, but put the right thing first, uh, and and this is how we live. And so it's just a thought for the day. Um, it's a scripture. It's a thought for the day. And I wrote it because I just want to encourage people. I want to encourage people to to experience and see God um, in a way that says, wow, he's, he's actually practical. So at the end of every devotion, there is a, a random act of kindness. We're asking you to go do something for someone else based upon what you heard, what you've learned. How would you express this to another? The circuit of love is never complete when it comes to me. It's only complete when it goes through me. And, wow. uh, and, and so we want to say, uh, and so if you want to get that, that book, um, you can get it at my website, leonardlee.com. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well, uh, let's, go, let's go down this. So people want to support the mission, which, you know, I'm a huge advocate right. for what you're doing. Where can they go to find your website, your right. um, nonprofit, your books? Where can they go? And we'll also post it. All right. You can go to uh, uh, the to the Forge Network, which is www four dash the letter the number four dash dot g e n um, uh, or dot net. Forgen.net. Four. Oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll throw it on there. We'll yeah. throw it up. Yeah. Dot net, and uh, you can you can find ways to give and partner with us. You can find our resources there. Um, I don't post a lot of details about my travel because right. of security reasons. Right. You can also go to leonardlee.com and find out just a little bit more about me and what I do and how I live my life. Uh, and you can also get our resources there, our books. I've got a few other books that are 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 done there, but also some others that we're we're getting ready to to put into publication in the next six to eight months. So um, good, man. Yeah, and so thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. That. So, so my friends, get out there and check it out. Like I said in the notes, we'll post links so you can uh, see Leonard's stuff and uh, learn more about him because what he is doing is awesome. It's just. It'll warm your soul and it will invigorate you to get out there and start doing it again on your own. Trust me, it's good stuff. Leonard, thank you for uh, hanging out and coming on to the Jesus is All We Need podcast, my friend. I appreciate you on so many levels. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. So head on over to lifeaudio.com and check them out. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, 
and two men leave because that's how it works. <laughs> Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.